right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeart 3D Audio. For full exposure, listen with headphones. Have you brought with you um, some of those devices which would have enabled the CIA to use this poison for, we have indeed, for killing people? Pistol, uh, fire, the dart? Yes, it does, Mr. Chairman. The, uh, that, the round thing at the top is obviously the sight. The rest of it is uh, what is practically a, uh, a normal 45, although it's, it's special. It, however, it, it works by electricity. There's a battery in the handle, and it sh- fires a small dart. So that when it fires, it fires silently? Almost silently, yes. Uh, very little. Very what little. range does it have? 100 meters, I believe, about. About 100 yards, 100 meters. About 100 meters range. Right. And the dart itself, when it strikes the, the, the uh, target, um, does the uh, target know that he's, about, that he's been hit and about to die? That depends, Mr. Chairman, on the particular dart used. There are different kinds of these. I'm Toby Ball, and this is Strange Arrivals. Episode 10, Enemy Above. Paul Benowitz's suspicions that UFOs were present around Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, began in the late 1970s as he filmed lights and picked up radio signals at his house just outside the gates separating the base from the civilian world. In the decades since the Condon Committee rendered its final word on UFOs, and Project Blue Book was subsequently shut down, the American attitude towards the federal government had changed considerably. In some ways, many Americans now felt the way UFO proponents had following the Robertson and Condon reports, that the government held secrets and was willing to lie to the public in order to keep them. It brought a certain kind of conspiratorial thinking into the zeitgeist, a suspicion that the government was involved in dark things. In his book, The United States of Paranoia, author Jesse Walker describes five archetypal conspiracy stories. The enemy below, the enemy within, the enemy outside, the enemy above, and the benevolent conspiracy. 
In the 1970s, the enemy above archetype became more prominent. The enemy above is the kind of conspiracy theory that most people have in mind when they say conspiracy theory. It's the fear of powerful institutions. It's the fear of either the institutions themselves, the government, big business, the idea that the people within these institutions are conspiring against the public, or the idea um, that some sort of subversive force is trying to take control of those institutions um, and, and use them as a tool to uh, get whatever it wants from the public, which often involves a, sort of a master-slave relationship. So in general, you know, if you hear people talking about a CIA conspiracy or something like that, that's the enemy above. And by the late 1970s, there was no shortage of evidence of real conspiracies coming from inside the government, beginning, of course, with Watergate. Uh, and I take it you're also aware that the president has refused to honor a subpoena issued by this committee uh, for tapes and including specifically uh, these two tapes, one the September 15th tape and the March 21st tape. I think you're aware of that. I am aware of that, yes. And that his reason for doing so has been on executive privilege and separation of powers reason. Yes. University of New Hampshire history professor Kirk Dorsey. It's not even so much the break-in, it's all the revelations that Nixon was not just breaking in to try to find out about the Democratic Party, but that he had the FBI, the IRS, and the CIA all working against his enemies, that he had an enemies list, and that he had those agencies actually working domestically. It indicated it wasn't just the president, it wasn't just one bad guy in the White House, but actually that he was able to corrupt all these other institutions. And if all those institutions could be corrupted so easily by Richard Nixon, and nobody would have found out, you know, if they had hired good burglars, none of this would have happened. And I think it reinforced people's ideas. So you can keep secrets and really big ones too. Less well known now, but also important, were the findings of the church committee. We wouldn't have had the church committee without Watergate because part of the reason why Senator Church has decides to run this investigation because the Democrats controlled the Senate, um, as Frank Church from Idaho, was to basically say, we just found out that the president was using the CIA illegally. So we're gonna use our new power with the weakening of the presidency to investigate the executive branch. And the CIA has never come clean to Congress about what it's doing. So we're gonna start just piling up all the evidence we can. In 1975, the Church Committee investigated intelligence abuses by the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and the IRS. And it did two things. One is it revealed all these dark secrets that the United States had done overseas and domestically, but then also revealed things that had seemed to be successes that people knew about, like Guatemala and Iran, interventions from the mid-1950s, actually were a lot dirtier than they had been portrayed to the American people. Here we are talking about the CIA instigating coups against Jacobo Arbenz in Guatemala in 1954 and Mohammad Mossadegh in Iran in 1953. It freed those taken prisoner earlier and stormed the house of Mossadegh. Foreign Minister Fatimi gets through. First reports that he was torn to pieces had not been confirmed. Meanwhile, the mob flocked the streets demanding the return of the Shah. Mossadegh and his government were swept from power in favor of General Zahidi, the man appointed by the Shah in the first place. 
and assassination attempts against, among others, Patrice Lumumba in the Congo, whose murder was not conclusively tied to the CIA, and Fidel Castro. And, you know, one of the particular things in the Church Committee was it revealed how the CIA and both the Nixon and Kennedy administrations contracted with mafia killers to get rid of Castro. They couldn't even claim it was, you know, law and order or anything. Some of the documents from the Church Committee show that they were giving poison capsules to the mob to use against Castro. So it's, it's revealing a CIA that's just out of control, not very smart, and hardly the best and the brightest. And it just reinforces this notion that the federal government was worse than incompetent. It was corrupt and incompetent, which is a pretty bad combination. So what happens when you have a whole lot of real-life conspiracies revealed is it, of course, makes people more willing to imagine further conspiracies. Well, it was revealed the CIA had been doing a drug experiment, surreptitiously giving LSD to unwitting subjects and uh, recording their reactions and seeing if this could be used, you know, in sort of the circumstances of brainwashing, resisting brainwashing, and so on. This is the infamous project MKUltra. So once it's revealed that the CIA is doing something like that, it becomes a lot easier for people to imagine, well, maybe they killed JFK. The imagination takes an extra leap forward. Not a number of people were already thinking along those lines about JFK, but this made that much more imaginable for other people. This new strain of conspiratorial thinking began to show up in popular culture. A decade, a decade and a half before all these mid-1970s investigations, your average uh, spy movie was American spy was almost certainly going to be the hero. You're going to sympathize with him as he struggles against either the communists or some sort of imaginary terror conspiracy like Spectre. In the 70s, of course, you have this big wave of conspiracy thrillers where the U.S. government is the enemy or is allied with the enemy. Since the assassination, six of these people have died in some kind of an accident. There is no evidence of a conspiracy. And once that becomes a part of the conversation, that in turn also makes it easier for people to imagine real conspiracies. America has always been a home for conspiratorial thinking. And the 1970s didn't necessarily see an increase in this thought, but instead a change in the focus of these fears. It's that people's conspiracy theories were more likely to star institutions like the CIA, the FBI, the White House. And if you look at the polls that sort of look at levels of public trust, you know, the U.S. government itself and in different agencies of the U.S. government, I mean, you know, the CIA, the FBI, they, their numbers took a plunge in the 1970s. So it's important to understand the tenor of the times. Because when Paul Benowitz was contacted by Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent Richard Doty, he wasn't just vulnerable to influence because of his belief in the reality of aliens visiting Earth. He was also vulnerable because he lived in a society that believed that the government did bad things in secret. On October 24, 1980, Benowitz, acting out of a patriotic sense of duty, called Kirtland Air Force Base's head of security, Major Ernest Edwards, and told him about what he had filmed and recorded over the previous months. After this call, Major Edwards got in touch with Richard Doty. I was a counterintelligence officer for the base. 
he gave me all the information that Paul had given him. So I said, wow, that's interesting. So I made an appointment and went out and talked to Paul. Paul told me the same stories, shared everything that he had done. I immediately sent a message up to headquarters. Headquarters said, start an investigation. Then I, I got a hold of a man by the name of Jerry Miller. Miller was a scientist and former Project Blue Book investigator. We found that what the signals that Paul was gathering was a very highly classified NSA project that was occurring on base. It's no longer classified. We were shooting lasers into the air when Soviet satellites were flying over the base and we were hitting the lens of the Soviet satellites, blinding them, preventing them from taking pictures of the base. Well, somehow Paul tapped into that. Paul also was taking pictures of a highly classified drone project that was being experimented with on the base. Back in the 1980s, drones were highly classified. What they did back in those days, they would have a controlling aircraft that would launch these drones and they would control the drones from inside the aircraft. So the aircraft was always in close proximity to these drones. So these drones would be flying close around these aircrafts and it looked like there was some maybe danger or hostility of these drones towards that aircraft, but actually that aircraft was a controlling aircraft. This is probably as good a time as any to reiterate my words of caution about Rick Doty from last episode. Doty spent years planting disinformation in the UFO community, an effort we are looking at in this episode and the next. It makes sense to believe that anything that he says is in furtherance of this goal, even though he is long retired. I don't know why he would be any more honest with me than anyone else. Some of the things he says, less sensational things, are consistent with other accounts of the same events. Other things, including the more sensational things, should be treated as untrustworthy. With that in mind, here's Doty again. So when we found all this out, the project I was told to do was convince Paul that what he was seeing was, in fact, UFOs. And it wasn't difficult to do because Paul was a member of MUFON and APRO. MUFON and APRO were two civilian UFO investigation organizations. MUFON is still active today. Paul had been a field investigator for MUFON and APRO for a number of years. Paul was already a believer in UFOs. So it wasn't difficult for us to convince Paul that what he was seeing was UFOs. And that's what we wanted him to think, to prevent him from maybe disclosing the fact that we were testing classified drones or classified laser project. In fact, in addition to his documenting the Kirtland lights, he was also focusing attention on a place called the Archuleta Mesa, which rises up to over 9,000 feet in altitude in northern New Mexico. Paul was a pilot. He had a plane, and he would fly all over. He flew a person up to Dulce, New Mexico, once, and, and when he was coming back, he saw some strange things occurring at Archuleta Peak, which is east of Dulce. Very strange things. And he flew up there a number of times, photographing a lot of these strange occurrences. Paul was told within the UFO community that there was an underground UFO base up there. 
And so Paul was convinced it was UFO related. I went up there with Paul once and we saw some strange things happening up on top of the Archuleta Peak. And I didn't know what it was. So I started checking within the intelligence community. And I found out there was a special unit at Fort Carson, Colorado, near Fort Collins, that was uh, using that area. What Doty says he learned was that it was a special forces training area and that lights had been planted in the ground to guide incoming helicopters. Now, if you're standing below, down on the ground, several thousand feet down from the top of the Archipelada Peak, you saw these lights turn on. They look like, especially if, if they were hitting a cloud, they looked like UFOs flying up there. So what Paul was seeing wasn't actually just, just lights that were built into the mesa up there, and it, and it had nothing to do with UFOs. Doty says that he couldn't tell Benowitz the truth about the area because the project was classified. Whether that was the reason or not, Doty used the lights to reinforce Benowitz's suspicions about the Mesa. So that was another maybe disinformation statement I gave to Paul. Now remember, Doty was tasked with sowing disinformation, and I have no reason to believe he didn't use our interview to continue that work. With that in mind, he told me this strange story. Now, another interesting thing occurred a couple years later. Paul was flying up to Dulce, and he had a, uh, one of his employees seated with him, and, and they had a camera. As they were coming back, about over where Red River is located, Paul Benowitz encountered a UFO, a huge UFO that he took pictures of. And he saw into the UFO, he saw little creatures inside through the window portals. When Paul got back, he called me and said, you're not gonna believe what I got. I said, what do you have? He said, I got pictures of a real UFO, a big UFO, huge UFO that I almost collided with over Red River, New Mexico. Paul had his own photo lab. So I said, yeah, I'll come over and let me come over and look at these pictures. I went over there, I looked at these pictures and I was astounded. I mean. You know, I know of what I seen in classified documents, and this object was huge. And I said, well, gosh, you, you photographed a real a UFO, a huge one. He said, that's a mothership. I know it's a mothership. So I sent those pictures up to headquarters, and they were astounded by it. But they didn't have an answer what they were or where this craft came from. Doty says he asked Benowitz if he'd shared them with the UFO community. He said, no, 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 no. I'm afraid it's too hostile. I don't want anybody else to know about it. And I took his pictures and I also took his negatives. And we sent them up to Washington, up the chain. And of course, people asked me today, where are they? Where are they? Well, they're up there someplace. You think the government's gonna release that stuff? No, they're not gonna release it. During this time, Benowitz also took photos of a crashed craft of some sort on the Mesa maybe an early version of the stealth fighter or a drone. Author, Greg Bishop. So nobody knows exactly what he took pictures of because all the pictures of an actual crash were stolen out of his house. And Doty said either he or somebody in the Air Force did it because they didn't want him to have those pictures. Uh, so they would break into his house and like go through his stuff and sometimes move furniture around just to mess with him, which none of this is ethical or proper, but that's what they did. I think they thought, especially somebody like Doty thinks, you know, if I can uh, accomplish the mission, then, you know, I can pretty much do what I want. 
this effort came to include more direct methods to amplify Benowitz's paranoia, which took a very dark turn after the break. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As the Air Force continued its disinformation campaign against Paul Benowitz, they allegedly gave him some new computer software that they said would help in deciphering the signals he was picking up from Kirtland. The translated messages were intended to further trigger his paranoia. Benowitz considered his work to be a kind of scientific study, and in 1981, he produced a report summarizing his conclusions titled Project Beta. It is, to say the least, a troubling document. In it, Benowitz details his certainty of a hostile, devious alien presence and the existential threat that they presented. Here are a few excerpts that give you an idea of the sense of dread that pervades his writings. It is important to note at the outset, the alien is devious, employs deception, has no intent of any apparent peacemaking process and obviously does not adhere to any prior arranged agreement. In truth, they tend to lie. However, their memory for lying is not long and direct. Comparative computer printout analysis reveals this fact. They are picking up and cutting, as the alien calls it, many people every night. Each implanted individual is apparently ready for the pull of their switch. Whether all implants are totally effective, I cannot predict. But conservatively, I would estimate at least 300,000 or more in the U.S. and at least 200 million, if not more, worldwide. They appear to be totally death-oriented, and because of this, absolutely death-fear-oriented. This is a psychological advantage. No negotiation, agreement, nor peaceful compromise can be settled upon in any way. 
No agreement signed by both parties will ever be adhered to, nor recognized and respected by the alien, though they may attempt to make us believe otherwise. This analysis has entered the wilder realms of UFO folklore. Greg Bishop. The aftermath of this is, you know, the Dulcia underground base rumors, those got started then. Like aliens are here have making deals with the United States government in exchange for who knows what, you know, abduction rights or something like that. I've seen a letter where somebody wrote to him and told him that uh, all spiritual teachers throughout history were either aliens or influenced by them or whatever. All these things that were floating around in the late 80s and early 90s being told to Paul Benowitz, a lot of them ended up in the UFO mythos, and it's still there, a lot of it. And I don't think there's any underground bases with aliens in them. There certainly are underground bases. There's tons of them. There's tons of underground facilities. But as far as having anything to do with extraterrestrials, I seriously doubt that. If you search Dulce aliens on Google, you can read all kinds of wild stories about secret treaties, reptilian aliens, and battles between humans and extraterrestrials in underground bases. Like I said, the fringes of UFO folklore. Eventually, uh, Benowitz got more and more paranoid, and there's a dispute as to whether he was already sort of paranoid before he talked to the Air Force or not. I still think he was, and that the, this episode just made it worse. And the Air Force and the various intelligence agencies just made it worse by encouraging him and occasionally by feeding him uh, disinformation. Another story that comes out of the Benowitz affair involves the passing of an altered document. According to this story, Doty used a man named Bill Moore as an intermediary to Benowitz. You might remember Bill Moore from the previous episode. He was one of the authors of the book that brought Roswell back to public attention. Anyway, in 1981, Doty again, allegedly, gave Moore a document to pass to his friend Benowitz. Bill Moore was told to give him a teletype that mentioned UFO activity and interest around UFO activity and actually mentioned one of the sightings that he had or had documented. And so Bill was told to give this document to Benowitz. And what Bill told me is he took it to him. He said this is the only thing he ever gave to him. I, I trust him because Bill's never lied to me. He said he took this document down there and at night after his company was closed, Benowitz's company. He said, I have to talk to you. We have to go in the supply closet. He went in the supply closet, turned a radio up and gave him the document and yelled in his ear, I was told to give this to you, take it with a grain of salt. The document, which was made to appear as an official government teletype, essentially said that while the Air Force was no longer officially investigating UFOs, it and other government agencies, led by NASA, were continuing to investigate legitimate sightings in secret. It also includes these two sentences. The official U.S. government policy and results of Project Aquarius is still classified top secret with no dissemination outside official intelligence channels and with restricted access to MJ-12. Case on Benowitz is being monitored by NASA, INS, who request all future evidence to be forwarded to them through AFOSI 
I-V-O-E. There are two interesting things here. One is that last sentence that indicates continued federal interest in Benowitz's work. It must be there to further convince Benowitz that he is on the right track regarding UFOs. The second interesting thing is the allusion to Project Aquarius and MJ-12, which is the first mention of what would become a major part of modern UFO folklore, with Bill Moore right in the middle. We'll look at this in the next episode. Doty more or less denies being behind the passing of this document to Benowitz. Well, number one, I never passed anything to Paul Benowitz that had anything to do with MJ-12. I never passed Paul Benowitz any classified documents. That's absolutely baloney. You can parse this statement and note that he doesn't rule out giving something to Moore to pass to Benowitz that involved MJ-12, or that the memo might not have been classified, and therefore he's not ruling it out for that reason. But regardless of whether Doty was behind it or not, Benowitz received the document. I'll also note that another reason for considering the possibility that Doty didn't pass on the memo is that the Air Force Office of Special Investigations was not the only federal agency with interest in Paul Benowitz. Myself, another agent, and uh, Jerry Miller were at Paul's house one night, a rainy night in Albuquerque. His wife comes in and said, there's a red light in the house across the street. And we looked at her like, okay, what's that mean? And Paul says, the house is vacant. So when we went out and looked out his window, we could see a red light. And it's more or less like a camera light or something. Paul says, they're keeping track of me. And, well, I knew we weren't doing it. And I, I knew the FBI wasn't doing it because we were, the FBI was closely involved in this. I thought, hmm, well, who's doing it? So myself and this other agent go down and we, we got guns, we're federal agents. We go down and we walked over there. About that time we got there, these two men were walking out of the, the house. And we confronted them, we identified ourselves, and we said, who are you guys? Well, they identified themselves too, as agents with the National Security Agency. According to Doty, there follows a classic scene where each group tries to assert their claim to priority in the case. So the next day, I went out and I knew the supervisor at NSA on the base. It was a highly classified location, and I, was, I had a pass to get in. I said, I said, what the heck are you guys doing investigating Paul Benowitz? Oh, oh that's classified. I said, I don't give a crap what classification is. You're going to brief me right now because that's our operation. You're interfering with our operation. And I just sent a message up to headquarters. Oh, let me get you cleared. Let me get you cleared. Doty was allegedly cleared to be given information about the NSA's interest in Benowitz. And this is where he says he learned about the laser program to foil the Soviet satellites. And about 10 days later, they send me down and said, OK, you continue what you're doing. You are the lead agency, not NSA, not the FBI. Paul Benowitz was the subject of operations involving at least three government agencies, and the pressure that this exerted on him led to a deteriorating mental state. 
So anyway, eventually Benowitz gets more and more scared. He gets more and more paranoid uh, to the point at which he has to be, his family fears for his health and puts him in a, a mental health facility for a couple of months. People have this idea that, oh, he was in a, he was in the loony bin for the rest of his life. It's like, no, he went to a place for maybe a month or two. He came out and then he pretty much stopped the level activity that he had. He was still interested in the subject, but he realized if he got too close, he would probably fall over that cliff again. And him and his family didn't want that anymore. And this is the final part of the Benowitz legend, that he was intentionally driven crazy by the government. And while you can argue about whether he was already paranoid and all the disinformation campaign did was to give him the final nudge, there's really no disputing the reality that in order to preserve some military secrets, government agents preyed on his mental health. Author of The Unidentified, Mythical Monsters, Alien Encounters, and Our Obsession with the Unexplained, Colin Dickey. And then I came across the story of Paul Benowitz, and I was frankly flabbergasted by the depths of cynicism and uh, sort of disdain with which a, you know, a government operation would treat not just an American citizen, but a veteran and someone who worked for the government and deeply loved his government. The Air Force could have called in Paul Benowitz and said, you know, look, what you saw was classified and you being a good patriot, we're just going to ask you to just stop sending out those images. And, and I, I have no reason to think that Paul Benowitz, who's not only was a patriot, but his livelihood, he worked, his company was Air Force contractor, so there's no reason he would have sacrificed his livelihood. But they don't do that. Instead, they say, we are going to pump this guy with an elaborate campaign of disinformation. This very bizarre and elaborate, sustained campaign to take a, you know, a law-abiding and patriotic American citizen and basically more or less drive him crazy to like push him to the point where nobody would take him seriously because he was advancing these wild and, and unverifiable theories about aliens. It's a really sad and tragic story. I mean, there's, there's so much like pathos involved in there. And also I think it does speak to a kind of weird cynicism that seems to drive some levels of the U.S. government. And among the people in the UFO community who knew the story, it made the case that the enemy above threat of conspiracy theory wasn't just something they'd see on the news or in the movies. It was something that could be directed towards them. And they weren't wrong. You see, Paul Benowitz wasn't the only person who Richard Doty and the Air Force Office of Special Investigations targeted. One operation in particular would change the face of the UFO mythos and lead to a public repudiation of the disinformation campaign next time on Strange Arrivals. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeart 3D Audio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. This episode was written and hosted by Toby Ball and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Josh Thane with executive producers Alex Williams, Matt Frederick, and Aaron Mankey. And special thanks to Wendy Connors, creator of the Faded Discs archive of UFO-related audio on archive.org. Learn more about Strange Rivals over at GrimAndMild.com and find more podcasts from iHeartRadio by visiting the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.